And I'll tell you, like my experience as an entrepreneur, I, I mean, I bootstrapped my startup. Everyone tends to share the highlight reel, but nobody really talks about the lows. And occasionally you'll get a glimpse, but you don't really see the full picture of what it's like. And, you know, I'm I'm really grateful that I have my core group of people who I can share openly about the money challenges of entrepreneurship, who there's no shame, there's no judgment, there's no anything other than just love and support. Uh, and I think we all need that. So that's what I learned a ton in 2023. I didn't realize how much money shame I had until I got on those incredible interviews with on the podcast. And it's not easy, but I realized my big challenge was I was comparing myself to a lot of other agency owners and a lot of other people who have a completely different story than me, completely different background, different everything. And yet here I was like putting us side by side, comparing and contrasting on how I didn't live up to the same whatever standards that they did. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. This episode is going to be a little bit different than the typical Hustle Less, Profit More podcast guest interview, where I am joined by incredible experts and subject matter experts, coaches, consultants. I mean, I have been so fortunate to have incredible guests join me. But what I really want to do in this episode is a little bit of a revisit, a review, um, almost like a deep dive into one of the through line topics that has come up in so many of these episodes. And today we're talking emotional wellness for entrepreneurs. And it really was the core of this podcast from the get-go, right? The Hustle Less, Profit More podcast was all about leaving toxic hustle culture behind and finding a way to achieve whatever our version of success or abundance or fulfillment was based on our goals and desires, not societies, without having to self-sacrifice. And it's something that I think we go through in waves. You know, as an entrepreneur, there are times when you got to put your head down and buckle down and do the work. And then there are times when we recover and we rest. And the word balance doesn't always seem to fit. You know, one of the things that I heard one of my amazing guests, Kevin Keppel, coined was, was finding harmony instead of balance. And that really stuck with me. Now, one of my recent episodes, I was joined by Shulamit Berlev-Tov, who is the entrepreneur's therapist. Fantastic guest who brought up some really great takeaways that I want to review. One of the things that I want to share personally is what I've done myself as an entrepreneur, as an agency owner, a military wife and a busy mom and a dog mom. You can probably see Hannibal in the background if you're watching the video. Um, how I've dealt with the emotional labor of entrepreneurship myself, what I've done, what I plan to do moving forward, because that's not always the same. You know, I'm closing out a really big, heavy year um, and I'm excited to move into the new year, but there are also some strategies that I plan on taking forward that I think might be helpful to share with you. So the three big kind of takeaways we're going to cover in today's episode are isolation. I mean, here I am sitting alone in my home office, in my recording studio, as you will, with my dog, but there's no one else in sight. You know, isolation's a big deal for entrepreneurs in today's digital age. The second thing is boundaries. 
you know, it's hard when you're running a business and you've got clients and you've got vendors and you've got contractors or employees, you've got family, you've got all of these different people and situations that you're interacting with and understanding your boundaries and other people's boundaries and then being able to navigate that can be really tricky. So I'm going to share with you my personal boundaries, uh, both personal and professional and, and how I work through those. And then the, the final topic that I want to cover today is money shame. This is something that's come up multiple times over the podcast. And I think it's something that you know I've gone through and I've briefly touched on in some of the guest interviews, but I'm going to speak a little bit more in depth on the money shame that I've experienced and how I've worked through it. I'm not fully through it. I wouldn't say I'm done, but how I am or have been working through it and what my plans are for 2024. So let's kind of get started here. The first piece of all of this is the isolation. And I'm a military wife, as I mentioned. My husband is gone all the time. I'm raising a young daughter. My family didn't live close for a really long time. And so I have been very much isolated in my personal life as well as my professional life. And it's been a real challenge. I am an extrovert by heart. These solo episodes that I rarely do are a challenge for me because I love conversation. Like my favorite part of the week is getting to meet with people. And on Zoom, I mean, it's still a challenge, but it's better than nothing, I'll say. But one of the things that I have really worked on is getting myself out there into situations where I'm around real people. This was challenging through COVID. You know, I have a remote team too. So this it's a really challenging endeavor to put yourself into a place where you get to be around a bunch of people regularly in today's day and age. But what I found was having an external office that I go to where I can be around other people, I interact, I say hello to the desk staff, I walk by other businesses, I go and meet and greet other people in the office. Like it's a it's a, a large office building with lots of different businesses inside. So I get to go into the cafeteria and chit chat with people. And it has been so transformative for me because even not speaking to or interacting directly with people, but being in the same room as people while we're all working has kind of reinvigorated me. It's given me a lot of, I don't know what, it's like almost what, what um, I would say like almost like mojo, right? Like, <laughs> thinking um, at, um, Mike Myers, right? Uh, <laughs> But it, it really has. It's, it's been an incredibly powerful tool. And I think whether you're going to Starbucks or your local coffee shop or a co-working space or you have a physical office, I think removing work from my home not only allowed me to interact and kind of fight against some of that isolation, it also helped me reinforce some other pieces of my work-life harmony, as I've mentioned, um, which were upholding boundaries. Um, when I'm at the office compared to working at home, like right now I'm, I'm in my home office and on the days when I'm at the office office out offsite, I get 10 times more done. I don't know what happens when I go there, but I'll sit down and within a two hour period, I'll get more done than I would have in an entire day at home. I don't know what happened, but it's just that moving into a new space, it's like my brain goes boop into a kickstarted or a, like a hyperdrive and I just get more done. I'm more productive. I'm so happier. Man, there is nothing worse. And I will tell you as um, a working from home spouse, when your significant other comes home and they don't understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur working from home and they just, you know, have different expectations around what happens while you're home, even though you're working, doesn't always align. So me now being out of the office has been super helpful because we understand that there's literally a physical barrier, a distance. So I can't be expected to do the same things if I were working from home as I am at the office. So that has been super helpful for me. It's also helped me communicate much more clearly why some of the expectations of work from home just weren't reasonable in my personal opinion. And it, it definitely helped a ton. I have 
also noticed that by working out of the house, whether this is, you know, and you don't necessarily have to have an office space for this to work. You could go to your local coffee shop or have just a regular place that you go to to work, Um, whether it's, you know, your local coffee shop or if there's a co-working space, whatever. I now regularly have peers and friends and mentors who'll actually come to my space to join me to co-work. And that has been so much fun, especially because my team is remote, right? I, I run a marketing agency and all of my team is remote. I think I, I have no local staff. I do work partnership with some local um, other agencies here locally, but but I don't often get to see my team in person. And so having other valuable people who help me through decision-making processes, who are involved in the business in some sense or way, you know, my personal board of directors, as I like to call them, has been honestly so helpful. Just being in the same room as these people, shaking hands, getting to work, brainstorming ideas for each other's businesses and and helping each other through stuff has been super, super helpful. It's also kind of given me back a social life that I lost in COVID. Prior to COVID, I mean, I was super social. I was out all the time seeing friends and family and all over the place. And then COVID really kind of changed the way that I interact with society. And as I did a lot of people. So this was this was a big kind of challenge, but being able to bring my personal board of directors to me now that I have this space, whether it's meeting for coffee or meeting at my office, it has been oh so fun. We're also more likely to promote each other because we see each other regularly. I don't know, it's just top of mind. Um, and and I found it really helpful. So what my recommendation is, whether you are you, you can't stop working from home or you're going out in the office. There are a few key things that I did this year that helped me maximize my work from home time, but they also helped me maximize my time at the office. And I found it worked both ways. It For me personally, I just am better in the office than I am at home. But this these tactics worked for me either way. So the first was blocking out time with the do not disturb mode on. So I had Rob Krechak on the show in an early episode who talked about the challenge of distractions and technology overwhelm that's just constantly pulling us out of our focus time. And what we really need are these blocks of a few hours, chunks of time with zero distractions where you can get into that deep work, where you can really focus and be creative without your emails dinging all day long. And so what I do on my calendar is I I do this two weeks out because stuff happens. Appointments pop up, right? Like I'm, I'm a mom, my kid gets sick, stuff happens. So I try not to go too far in advance because then I end up doing a lot of editing. So for the next two weeks, I sit down on Monday and I'll look at the next two weeks and go, okay, where am I going to block off time for these tasks? I'm going to fit them in and they're going to be dedicated. Yes, you can get apps. I have had and used apps in the past to do this, but I find there's just something about doing it yourself. It's like a commitment because you've chosen that time. It's not just assigned to you. I find it really helpful. So block off times, use your do not disturb. One of the cool tips that Rob shared, um, Rob Krechak shared with me in his episode was, I'm holding up my iPhone for those of you just listening to the audio and not able to see the video, but on my iPhone, there's a setting where most of the time by default, when you pick up your phone, your screen turns on and shows you like the list of notifications and stuff, but you can actually turn that off. And through the day, at first it was really tricky because I would pick my phone up and I'd be like, why... I have to turn on the face thing so it can scan my face and open up or I have to put in the code. But what I found was having that turned off made me so less likely to check for notifications. It significantly helped me limit distractions because when the screen doesn't turn on, unless I really like push the button or touch it, I found I could move my phone around. I could pick it up and set it down or move it to a different place without getting distracted by the notifications when my screen would turn on. So that was a huge one. The second piece is getting out from work from home on a consistent basis, whether it's going to a coffee shop once or once a week or once every other week or going to a co-working space or meeting a friend, 
for dinner, whatever, dedicating time out of the work from home office to get work done, especially for the stuff that you've been dreading. So this is the tip really for me at the core is if there's a project or a task that you don't want to do and you are procrastinating and you're noticing like, man, I just can't seem to pull myself to do this thing, dedicate time out of the office in a space where you're gone to do it. And I found, I think that's why I'm so much more productive at the office is because I'll do the stuff that I otherwise wouldn't want to do or do at home. I will dedicate time I used to do this at the coffee shop. So I would go and go to Starbucks, which was the one that I would go to, but whatever coffee shop works for you. I would go to Starbucks once every two weeks and it would be my get stuff done that I haven't been able to pull myself to do time. Because I'm away and I've dedicated this time to doing those things. Man, I got them done so fast and it was so much easier. (laughs) It was wild. It was super, super helpful to me. So those are the three things. Block off quality time without distractions. Use your do not disturb mode if you can. I have my phone setting set. This was such a mind-blowing tip for me from Rob Krechak in particular was um, one of my fears of not having notifications on my phone was that my daughter's school would call and I would miss it. Well, he was like, you can turn off all the other notifications, but phone calls. I was like, you can? He was like, yeah, you can actually choose which contacts can get through. It's like my mind was blown. So I set it up so only phone calls from particular people will come through when I'm in do not disturb mode. Massively helpful. So now I don't have that same fear and I'm able to get into deep work without worrying and constantly checking to see if I've missed something. So block off quality time without distractions. Number two, get out, go offsite whenever you need to get stuff done that you're not going to do at home or you're finding you're procrastinating. Do it consistently and that's your dedicated time to get that stuff done. Super helpful. And then the third, which I kind of spoke about, is meet regularly with people who have influence over the decisions you're making and spend time with them out of the office. So for me, that's my personal board of directors. Those are my peers and mentors. You know, My dad happens to be one of those people. My dear friend, Vicki, if you're listening, happens to be one of those people. And, and we'll dedicate time to come together and walk through the challenges we're facing. And that FaceTime together in person has been so helpful. So those are the three big tips when it comes to isolation. Now, moving into 2024, my tips for for dealing with isolation, obviously, is to keep going to the office. That's something that's really helped me a ton. The other things that I'm I'm actively trying to do is participate more in the local networking groups. And it's, it feels it feels so cheesy when I talk about it, but the truth is, like, there are so many cool groups local that are absolutely fantastic. They are really, really great. There's tons of incredible people, lots of friends you can make. And whether or not you do it for your business or just for you personally, uh, like it can be really helpful just to be able to get some perspective on what other people are doing. So for me, that looks like I'm participating in two local networking groups and they're like women's entrepreneurship groups or local entrepreneurs groups. And I'm actually going to the meetings. So this is 2024. I am committing to this. Once a month, I am going to those meetings in person just to get out of the house and to meet other entrepreneurs going through the same thing. I'm not actively going to grow my business. It's not with the intent of pitching. If that happens, great, but that's not the intention. The intention is to fight isolation and connect with other people going through similar things locally. So that's my plan for 2024, working in the office, continuing to meet my board of my personal board of directors regularly, blocking off that quality time, and then joining in those networking groups. And I mean, there's so many cool ones you can find locally. You just have to do a quick Google search, but most larger cities have women's entrepreneurship groups and stuff like that, or men's entrepreneurship groups or whatever your niche is. You can you can find those and actively participate. They, some of them do cost money, but I mean, I, f- I find it's well worth it. 
So that's 2024 for me in terms of isolation. Now, if isolation is a real challenge for you, I do recommend listening back to the episode with Shulamit Bear-Levtov. She spoke about some really cool tips and perspective shifts on isolation that I think are really helpful. So make sure to, to put that in your queue and listen to that episode next. All right. So now we're going to talk a little bit about boundaries, the B word. <laughs> This topic has come up in probably 15 different episodes of the 60-something, almost 70 that have come out up to this point. Boundaries are hard. You know, I'm, I'm a mom, as I mentioned, I'm a military wife, and her life is chaos. There's constantly bombardments of uncertainty and new stuff and things coming up. And then on top of that, I run a marketing agency and, and I'm a human. And so it's really hard navigating our relationships and our situations and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. So there's a few things that I noticed in 2023 that really stuck, that really kind of scared me a little bit and that I've been working on actively and I plan to continue in 2024. And the first one is social media. Oh man, look, <laughs> Social media can be really fun. It, you know, it's social. It can be really fun. You can engage with and find inspiring people. And I mean, my my daughter and I like to watch funny cat videos on Instagram every once in a while. But what I found in 2023 was the more time I personally spent on social media, the less happy I was, the less present I was, the more stressed and distracted I was. Didn't matter what kind of boundaries I set around it, whether it was timing, whether it was I would only allowed to do it on my desktop, whether it, whatever. I found that social media was a real challenge for me. And so as a marketer, this was a really tricky thing. Like, how do I run a marketing agency where we sell social media services where I don't want to be on social media? And I, I toyed with that question. And I think these kinds of kind of almost stupid questions can really push us into new creative thinking. And what I found was I personally, I'm not alone. I spoke with friends. I spoke with mentors, that personal board of directors I mentioned, clients, all about the challenges of social media. And I think a lot of them assumed that I loved social media because I'm a marketer and I was happy to inform them that I hated it. It was a massive suck on my personal life, on my happiness, on my joy, on my presence. And they felt exactly the same. So I realized, obviously, I needed to build a service around this where we could manage other people's social media without having them be on it to give them that freedom and that joy and that release. So that was a, a big piece. And what I did was I just stuck with my guns and said, I am not personally going to consume social media anymore. I'm out. I have incredible team members who specialize in platforms. I have creatives. I have graphic designers. I have, I don't need to be the one on social media to make this work. I really don't. And most people don't. You can find other ways, creative ways to make this work. And so that for me was a big step, a big kind of personal boundary was like, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> the other part of social media is that second word. The first word is social. The second is media. We have to remember that this is media. This is a message, a marketing message, a news message, propaganda, whatever it is, entertainment. It's media. And you can define that however you want. But I, from a very young age, had pretty strict rules around how I consumed news media. And I mentioned this in my episode with Shulamit, where when I was in college, I would get the newspaper delivered once a week on Sundays. And I would sit down and that was how I got my news. I loved it. It was cathartic feeling the paper on my hands. And I did that all the way. Oh man, I did that for years and years and years. And it was just, it was how I consumed media. I didn't watch news on TV. Um, as a military wife, my husband's deployed all the time. I don't want to watch the news. 
there's a lot of fear around that. So I try and turn it off and, and stay away from it. And I, I kept that. And so I've kind of bundled social media into that. If I'm going to consume social media, it's going to be for a very specific reason. It's going to be for a very specific time frame. And I'm not doing it for fun. I'm doing it to do a task or to achieve something. I will not mindlessly scroll on social. That's it. So I don't get my news from social media. I don't consume any news media during the day. And I thoughtfully select how and when I'm going to consume any form of media. That's my big boundary. And I think when you look at the way that you're consuming, especially if you're a creator, it it shifts things. So when I stopped actively engaging on social media regularly, what I found was I was reading books a ton more. And I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love reading, but I wasn't finding time during the day. And by the time the evening came, I would hop in bed and then scroll my phone like most people do and then go to sleep and I wouldn't pick up the book. So now I'm reading a ton more and going into 2024, I'm actually getting a little bit more strict on these rules with social media. So I, Rob gave me some great ideas on this, which was like, if you're going to consume social media, do it on your desktop, not on your phone. And I was like, that's brilliant. So if we are doing stuff where I need to engage on social media, it can't be on my phone. I actually don't have social media apps on my phone at all for that reason. So going into 2024, I've set this new rule and I'm only going to, if I have to go on social media for any reason, which is rare, but it happens, it's going to be on my desktop or my laptop. The other thing I'm I'm going to do is I'm going to do a better job of delegating the tasks related to social media. So for a while, my personal social channels, I was still managing the messaging and my creative team was doing all of the content. And I found even that was too much. <laughs> so what I did was we set up this new CRM this year, super exciting. We're with high level for any of you marketers out there who know the CRM. It's fantastic. Ask me about my affiliate code. No, I'm um, but we switched over and now I can actually engage in conversations on my DMs in my CRM, no longer in the social apps. So I don't even have to now open up social apps on my desktop. I can do everything through my CRM. So that was an absolutely fantastic find. So that's 2024 is now desktop CRM only and much clearer instructions on who's doing what. So if there needs to be engagement, if there needs to be a message responded to, something like that, like I'm I'm really getting clear with my team on who does what and on what channels, and that I'm really excited for. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about notifications because boundaries are really for you to set yourself up for success, but also to set other people up for success. So one of the things that I noticed in terms of boundaries was I was really good at upholding boundaries with clients. Um, so I get messages throughout the day and I don't check them. They know my rules. I literally send a communications policy to all new clients that talks about when and how I respond to messages, how to get a hold of me, what kind of a response time to expect, et cetera. But when it came to family, it was a whole different story. And my mom, my dad, my husband, my family members, friends would text me or message me throughout the day expecting a response. And I would break that boundary with them every single time. And I realized how distracting it was because I, I had blocked off time to do a task. And I started getting dings because it was one of those contacts that I had set up where their notifications could get through. And it completely wrecked this focus time that I had set aside for myself. I was furious with myself because I had set this time apart to do the thing. And then I, like, the phone was just dinging. So I sent that person, I'm not going to say who, I sent that person a message saying, hey, look, I appreciate that you're my friend and you know, like I want to respond to you, but you have to know like I'm working now and I'm setting this boundary. I'm not going to respond to text messages. Like if it's really important, give me a call if it's an emergency, but save your text messages or send me an email and I'm, I'm taking you off of my do not disturb. I can't respond to you. And they were so understanding. And I think there's this fear like they're going to see me as a mean person. 
it was the complete opposite. They're like, oh my gosh, you know what? I need to do the same thing was the response. And I was like, super excited to hear that because I felt validated, but I also was excited for that person to join on and actually experience what it's like to uphold those boundaries. And so if you are setting boundaries with work, if you're setting boundaries with one particular area of your life, make sure that you reflect on the other areas of your life where it might spill over. So if it's notifications on social media, what about text messages from family? What about emails? What about XYZ? And a kind of mind map out or brainstorm out all the different pieces that could influence you in the same way and, and take a look at that. So to review kind of this section on boundaries, really, the big ones that I reflect on from 2023 are social media and the news, for sure. It's been a crazy year. It's been a crazy couple of years. Let's get real. And notifications. Those are the two big ones. Going into 2024, some of the big boundary kind of things I'm going to be working on are really setting the same standards and expectations for my work from home time when I'm home at the studio like I am today and then when I'm at the office and being really clear on why that's so important to my family. That's something that I'm really excited for. I'm setting kind of new standards for how I'm going to be working throughout the day at home, whether it's I'm at the recording studio here or whether I'm at the office and being really clear about that is something I'm excited to do moving forward. And I've started laying the foundation now, but it's something I'm leaning into hard in 2024. Another one is SOPs. <laughs> There are some people who get really excited about SOPs, the so standard operating procedures, and then there are some people who hate them. And I'm, I'm usually someone who's very excited about them when I don't have to create them, but when I have to do them, I hate it. So what I've, I've done as a boundary is set it up where anytime something comes up in my day-to-day -day that kind of pushes a boundary, I'm writing it down and then creating a little checklist or SOP on how I'm going to deal with that in the future. So that way I'm setting myself up for success. And it's literally as simple as a Google doc that I'm using to create this. But when things come up that push me or kind of I let a boundary go, I write down why. And then I reflect on, okay, is this a good reason for real? Is this a bad, like what, what does this look like? And does, if this happens again, what do I want to happen? And then I'm writing that down so I can reflect on that. And I've got a blueprint moving forward. So that's 2024 for me in a nutshell is like tracking the boundaries that I break <laughs> and trying to set myself up for success the next time it happens because it, it will, it for sure will. All right, this last part of this solo episode is all about money, shame. And I've had two incredible guests who really came in and, and spoke with incredible insight on this topic. Um, Shulamit and then Bob Wheeler. Uh, he is the author of The Money Nerve. And we had such a great conversation around money and shame and entrepreneurship. And I'll tell you, like my experience as an entrepreneur, I, I mean, I bootstrapped my startup. Everyone tends to share the highlight reel, but nobody really talks about the lows. And occasionally you'll get a glimpse, but you don't really see the full picture of what it's like. And, you know, I'm I'm really grateful that I have my core group of people who I can share openly about the money challenges of entrepreneurship, who there's no shame, there's no judgment, there's no anything other than just love and support. Uh, and I think we all need that. So that's what I learned a ton in 2023. I didn't realize how much money shame I had until I got on those incredible interviews with on the podcast. And it's not easy. But I realized my big challenge was I was comparing myself to a lot of other agency owners and a lot of other people who have a completely different story than me, completely different background, different everything. And yet here I was like putting us side by side, comparing and contrasting on how I didn't live up to the same whatever standards that they did. Man, oh man. <laughs> so one of the questions, Bob Wheeler asked this in his episode, but so did Shulamit. And I think they're both trained in the same methodology, but it was Whose shame is this? Is the question you're meant to ask 
whenever that kind of money shame comes up. So as I was comparing myself to all these other people, I had to ask myself like, wait a second, whose shame is this? Well, because it's shame. I'm comparing for a reason because I'm ashamed. Whose is it? And the more I asked, the more I felt and the more I felt, the more clear it became. And I think for me, I tend to fear the emotions like I'm going to get lost or drown in them. Like they're not going to surpass, like they're not going to pass. I'm going to be stuck in the sadness or the shame forever. What I've learned is if I open up and let it happen, it ends way faster. (laughs) So what I did after my conversation with Bob Wheeler, I actually bought Bob's book, The Money Nerve. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it. And a good friend of mine and I read it together. And we went through the exercises together and they were so much better at thoughtfully doing the exercises on time than I was. But we did it together. And it was one of those moments where both of us realized that we are not uncommon. We are not different. Everyone goes through this stuff. Nobody talks about it. And so for us, that process was really helpful. So if you're someone who's struggling with money shame, where you feel a lot of discomfort around talking about your money with anyone, if you have a trusted person, if you have someone, one person maybe that you feel like you could open up to about this, that book, The Money Nerve, fantastic book to do as a partner with someone. So if you buy them a copy and buy yourself a copy or they buy it, what doesn't matter. And you go through it together. It's really a cool experience where you start to learn and share about your shame together. And then you create your plan and work through it together and you hold each other accountable in this really non-judgmental and, and moving way. So that's that was a, a big takeaway for me in 2023 was whose shame is it? And then working through that process of the book with my dear friend. Um, another thing that I started to do in 2023 and that I'm really excited about in 2024 is I started to be a lot more open about the financial state of the agency with my husband. You know, he and I make most financial decisions together, you know, it's welcomed having a spouse. Uh, But before I really didn't share much. I kept, I was very closed off and I think it was because I was ashamed that I wasn't doing as well as I thought I should and that he was going to, you know, I don't know, be upset with me or something. It sounds so ridiculous when I say it out loud, but it's true. So what I started doing was actively sharing with him the ups and downs. Hey, I closed this deal. Hey, I didn't close this deal. Hey, this bill came in. I wasn't expecting it. Oh man, planning for taxes and that's scary. All of these little things, but it gave him a lot more empathy, a lot more clarity around what I was going through, even though he can't truly understand it. He could get a glimpse. And I also felt just so much weight lifted off my shoulders because I was being open about it. And it, it took away a lot of the shame. So in 2024, actually, what we're going to be doing is, is regular meeting, regularly meeting to review my business finances because they're just as much a part of our relationship and our personal finances as they are, are not. And this kind of regular update, I think is going to be really helpful for both of us as a couple but also for me personally in my business, knowing that I have a confidant outside of the business who who I can share with. One, kind of the final piece here that I think is really important when it comes to money shame is the more you know, the better off you are, the better decisions you can make, right? And, and for me, financial education wasn't something I ever felt super confident about. <laughs> it was actually something I was terrified by. But I'm so fortunate. I have an incredible fractional CFO, CPA, Castiagi. Um, they're a client of mine actually, but they have been for many years, but they're also, I'm a client of theirs. Now, Tiagi Group, their um, accounting firm, focus on an education first approach because what they found is most of their clients, including myself, struggle with feeling financially illiterate. And that was 100% the words that I would say. I felt very financially illiterate years back. And with their help, not only do I understand my books better, like I outsource our taxes and bookkeeping and all those things for the agency to to them. 
But what I found was instead of just outsourcing and then like having no idea what happens or how it works, like most accounting firms that you work with, with them, they actually educated me and took the time to walk through, okay, here's the strategy. Here's what this means. Here's how it affects us. Like, how do you feel about this? What do you want to know more about? And that was a true game changer. I have never felt confident about numbers, but now like I know my books, I have a budget. We do bookkeeping every single month. I compare my budget to my bookkeeping. We have financial projections. We have all these pieces that I never thought I could do, but now I feel so damn confident about our business finances and just the understanding. It doesn't necessarily mean I feel like I'm rich, but I feel like I get it. I know the good, I know the bad, I know what's going on. And it makes me feel so much safer in my business and safer sharing. So if you don't have a CPA or a bookkeeper or somebody who's helping you understand what they're doing and why or what you should do, seek that out. Find somebody you can trust who will educate you, who will help you, because it will absolutely transform your business far more than you know just outsourcing will. So in summary, for the money shame kind of section here, first and foremost is find people who are safe and can support you to share and open up with. Work through this. And if you can't find someone else to work through it with you, even better, whether it's a friend working through a book or whether you find somebody like Shulamit, you know, the entrepreneur's therapist to work with you through your money shame or Bob Wheeler through your money shame, find a trusted person, a confidant that you can work through this with because you don't have to do it alone. Like we whole talked about that whole isolation section. Next is educate yourself. Find somebody who can help you learn, whether it's you know books, online courses, or someone like Cass for me and Tiagi Group for me. They helped me so much. So understand and feel financially literate, feel empowered in my, my business finances. And it's been absolutely transformative. So to do that. <laughs> in 2024, what we're doing is we're being much more stringent on keeping track of our books and projecting and looking forward. And I think just that transparency into our numbers is going to be really helpful in 2024. And then those open conversations with my husband, regularly talking about our finances, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, all of that. Because I think, you know, Corey Carlson was a guest on the podcast who talked a lot about how we don't often share with our spouses and our families, the challenges of entrepreneurship, and we just kind of put on a happy face and hide it. And how important it is to share the downs so that people can truly empathize and understand what you're going through as an entrepreneur. That I'm, I'm really taking forward into 2024. So kind of to close out the episode, because this is you know, just me, <laughs> to close out this episode going into the holidays, I think it's important for all of us to just reflect on the year and think about not just our financial goals, not just our business goals, but the emotional goals and wellness that we want to create based off of what we learned. So for me, I spent some time really thinking about the labor, the struggle, the emotional challenges, because they are valid, they are important, and, and how I plan to overcome them in 2024. And I hope that you take the time not just to look at your business from the numbers side, from the logic side, but from the psychologic side, from the psychological perspective, the emotional side of your business and what it does for you, and reflect on how you can set yourself up for more success, for better fulfillment or happiness, whatever that looks like for you in, in 2024. And I, I hope that for you. Make sure to listen to episode 55 with Shulamit Bear-Levtov, fantastic episode all about emotional labor of entrepreneurship. Rob Krechak, and he's a productivity and time management expert. His episode was fantastic. I'll link it in the description as well. If you're looking for actionable tips on how to set better boundaries with technology, like highly recommend. Bob Wheeler, pick up the Money Nerve book if you haven't. Listen to that episode. Some great tips on dealing with your money shame. And then if you're, I'm going to plug my 
accounting firm, uh, Tiagi Group. I'll pop them in the description as well. Not paid promotion, not an advertisement, just truly a really happy customer. Um, highly recommend finding someone, whether they work out for you or someone else, but an accounting firm that really does an education first focused approach. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for staying with me. If you have uh, listened to more than two episodes, I would so, so appreciate it if you'd leave us a review, give us a rating. It, it really does help the show a ton. It helps me a ton. And then if you enjoyed this solo episode, please let me know. I'm I'm hoping to do some more deep dives of topics based off of what we learn from our guests. Spend some time talking about how I'm actually taking what I learned from these episodes and applying it to my life, to my marketing agency and sharing kind of a case study style uh, experience there. And then my own perspective on some of those topics as well. So if you like the solo episodes, let me know if you if you despise them and you want guests, let me know and I won't, I won't spend too much time on here alone. So I appreciate you so much for listening for being here and for for pushing forward you know it's been a rough year for a lot of us it's been a rough couple of years and you know here you are persisting and uh and i see you i appreciate you thank you so much for listening you did it you finished another episode of the hustle less profit more podcast season two has been brought to you by content at scale with content skills, world-class SEO AI writer in just five minutes, you can generate high quality, research-backed 2,500 word articles. And here on the Hustle Less Profit More podcast, we use content at scale to create blog posts from every single episode, which you can explore along with our show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmore.com. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms. Thanks for listening.